Hi everybody, this is Crypto Cappuccino with me, Michael Collo, and today we'll be talking to Philip Sandner, Professor Philip Sandner actually, from Frankfurt. He is really an amazing forefront thinker in all things blockchain, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies. It's worthwhile sticking with the conversation because we start to cover some really interesting topics around the stability of financial markets, financial services, about trust in centralized financial institutions, and about how blockchains behind Bitcoin are going to reshape the financial services industry. So I hope you can join us. Hi, everybody. I'm here with Professor Philip Sander economist and head of Frankfurt School Blockchain Center at the Frankfurt School of Finance and Management, a fine town that I visited, I think, quite a few years ago now, but I really quite liked it. It's, it's lovely. It's kind of not too big, not too small, just the right size. He has been named the top 30 economists by the FAZ. I'm not even going to try and pronounce what's behind that, which is a major uh, newspaper in Germany. He's top 40 under 40, and he has his own Wikipedia page which is an envy, I'm sure, of many people, including myself. So it's superb, and uh, it's actually my pleasure to welcome you today, Professor. Yeah, thanks, uh, Michael, for being here. Uh, happy uh, to talk uh, with about uh, blockchain, our job, our university, and so on. Maybe to give uh, a little bit of uh, additional information, we have um, approximately 400 to 500 universities in Germany, and uh, of them, we have a couple of business schools and so on. And of these business schools, the Frankfurt School of Finance and Management is one of the leading ones uh, among top 10. But of course, I understand that it's basically too small, uh, that it's basically known by everybody. That's why I provide a little bit of context. And uh, we are a private university, which is not uh, happening too often in Germany. Private university means that students uh, are paying for their uh, study programs. This keeps uh, structures efficient, uh, small and agile. And that's basically also the reason why we have a blockchain center, right? Because large scale universities, University of Heidelberg, University of Munich and so on, they are huge organizations, therefore a little bit slow. And I think this explains why the blockchain center is existing with us uh, in Frankfurt and uh, nowhere else, just providing a little bit of context. And one, one remark about Frankfurt. Frankfurt is uh, one of Europeans uh, capital uh, cities in terms of finance, right? We have also London, but uh, with Brexit, they broke away. We all have Paris, which is attracting more and more money. And then we have Frankfurt. Uh, Frankfurt is a small city, though. It's just having approximately 600,000 employees. You can walk everywhere. And uh, you can walk to banks. You can walk to universities. Uh, within 30 or 40 minutes, uh, you are basically able to walk basically everywhere. So it's very unusual to have uh, such a relatively small city being a financial center in the world, but that's basically how Germany works. Germany is quite central. We don't have that many huge uh, cities, uh, just providing also a little bit of context. Um, and look, I, I remember um, when I, I did my PhD in London School of Economics way back when, and in the first year of my PhD, obviously we had to look for scholarships. And so I was lucky enough to be given a scholarship by the ECB because I was looking at Eurobonds as, as an issue. And I uh, went to a conference held in Frankfurt, uh, funnily enough, by um, the ECB. So I remember exactly that people going to work with those, um, you know, those devices that kind of uh, float through the. the yeah, it's kind of scooter, but it's only got two wheels. So it's kind of like this kind of thing. And you're basically uh, going to work. And I was very jealous because London is terrible for traffic, it's terrible for commuting. It's just not a very nice place, generally speaking, to kind of live and work compared to something like Frankfurt. And Frankfurt felt like a a wonderful balance where most people spoke 
English, obviously, Deutsche Bank had a very big office there, a number of other financial institutions as well. So I think the Frankfurt Tourism Board will be very happy with us for this introduction. So I think we've done, we've done the city and university proud. But I'd love to ask you, Philip, a little bit about um, how you came to be here, because I think your journey must have been quite an interesting one. Obviously, now you've got this incredible profile looking at blockchains and their adoption in our economy. But I'm guessing this wasn't the plan at the beginning, or at least, you know, how did you come to be here? No, it, it wasn't a strategy, uh, so to say. There is this, this, this amazing sentence that uh, strategy is an abstraction of the past, you know, that means that things are happening, you know, uh, you're, uh, you're doing things, you're doing tasks, you are investigating time into specific topics and so on. And afterwards, you can very easily say that this uh, must have been a strategy, but it wasn't, you know, it's just, it was basically stumbling from one step to another. Same here, but it doesn't make things worse, right? Because it does work and identified Bitcoin as an interesting technology back in 2013, 2014. At that point of time, the Bitcoin had like one of the first hypes going up to one. Therefore, um, in specific digital blocks, you know, like in Silicon Valley blocks, such as TechCrunch and others, the Bitcoin was already mentioned in a couple of blog articles, not in the newspapers yet, uh, but just in blog articles. And I read all these blogs at that point of time because I like IT, I like data and so on. And uh, all this then led to the to, to, to my feeling that I have to investigate this. I read the Bitcoin uh, white paper and since then it became a little bit of a hobby. The price then tumbled down to, from 1000 US dollar to 400 and the price was basically two or three years plus minus 400 US dollar. Then I lost interest and uh, then for whatever reason, I don't know exactly why, um, companies, you know, like industrial companies, but also banks around the world discovered the technology, not Bitcoin, but the technology that was in 2015, 2016. And that's when I then said, okay, wow, the technology is now being discovered more broadly. Let's make this as one of my um, main tasks for the future because, because I, I truly believe in that technology already 2005 and previously. And then uh, we have drafted a proposal to set up some kind of blockchain center at the university. As I said, it's for Frankfurt School. And uh, the presidential office was quite happy about this idea yeah? because the Frankfurt School educates many people around business, finance, data science, uh, a little bit of philosophy and law. And here, especially with the financial footprint, blockchain technology fits perfectly, right? So. In case you would like to educate uh, the future people who want to have a job in 10 years and 20 years, then you have to learn blockchain now. That's also one of the sayings, actually. I, I, I said this a couple of years ago, and I also kept on saying to students now, for example, last week when I had the course, which is in case you are now starting with blockchain technology, but you know, like really focusing it, learning smart never ever be unemployed again, uh, because there is so much stuff to be done. Dynamic is there, dynamic is increasing. People are building systems, intermediaries, companies, business units, startups, or Kita or whatever. In case you now start to investigate blockchain technology deeply, you know, really understanding it and investing quite some time, uh, then uh, you, you should have a decent career. Yeah, and, and I think this is a, a really interesting one. So, um, I mean, maybe I'll, I'll frame this a little bit um, proactively. So, what is the big deal about blockchain? as a technology obviously you 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 talked about the technology and how it's going to change things we talked about the future of industries or future of work being related to blockchains and smart contracts what 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 for you i suppose personally for you 
what is it about blockchains? What is the essence of blockchains that makes you go, wow, this is crazy good or crazy, crazy important? Yeah. For me personally, it's, 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 it's partly the technology, but it's also a lot of uh, Bitcoin and the main cryptocurrencies, for example, Ethereum and all the others, right? These approaches, you know, decentral technologies are absolutely fascinating because decentral technology means that there is no center of power, right? Bitcoin is not having a CEO. Bitcoin is not having a CTO, no customer support, no website, nothing. It's just pure technology and it lives. It lives now for more than 10 years and it will live for another decades or centuries, who knows? And that's absolutely fascinating to have a technology coming to life, which is there, which is unstoppable, which is existing, and nobody can shut it down. That also means that when I'm going to retirement in uh, 20 years, 30 years, Bitcoin will still run. You know, and a technology of this kind of quality is so fascinating. And it's not it's not just Bitcoin, right? It's also Ethereum and the other smart contract platforms, all this taken together, the so-called decentral networks, decentral protocols, and so on. I think this caught my attention and uh, that's technically speaking, extremely fascinating. Yeah, because I think it's funny when you fall into this topic and you start thinking about it from different angles, um, one angle perhaps is to think about blockchains and, and these kinds of technologies as an emergent property of a uh, large system. So you have lots of computers, you have lots of data and you understand that that network of computers will continue. And therefore it's possible now to put on a protocol that is supported by so many different computers and so many different kind of systems the same way that, as you say, it's the strength of that network that keeps the structure and form of Bitcoin going forward. Um, and, and I want to return a little bit later to this point that you made, which I think is very important around uh, immutability and this idea that it's going to be here forever. And therefore, that's a great thing. It's not going away. Um, but before we get to that, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about companies and uh, economies. And I suppose where, obviously, you mentioned financial markets um, or payment systems, but I suppose in your work, where have you seen the biggest impact in terms of industries or companies where you think blockchain will kind of unlock a problem, solve a problem, or, or kind of improve the outcome in, in a very material way? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, and I also thought about this a lot because when we started with blockchain technology on behalf of the university a couple of years ago, we started to also uh, do projects and prototype developments with industrial companies. You know, think, think of German companies like Daimler, Bosch, Siemens, Porsche, Volkswagen, all these guys. And it didn't work out. You know, for, we can also discuss this later, but there are many reasons why companies have really huge difficulties uh, understanding and also adopting the technology. And then we lost a little bit of interest because we kept on pushing and nothing came back, basically. So uh, so we then turned more towards crypto assets, that's these decentral uh, networks, right? And, uh, and therefore, we now are part of the community and this now works very well. These technologies, they are technologies for individuals. You know, that's a fascinating topic. Uh, you might have read a couple of weeks ago uh, when the... White House in the US um, launched their regulatory agenda. You know, how would they like to regulate everything around crypto? You know, digital US dollar CBDCs, digital assets, crypto, anything. And uh, in the very beginning, uh, President Biden just mentioned the responsibilities of the ministries, right? Not more. But this very short announcement had a very, very fascinating first paragraph. And this first paragraph said that 40 million of adult Americans are owning crypto assets or having owned them or trading with it and so on 40 million 
that's 16% of the adult population. And if you now would uh, have in mind, which that's not written in the announcement, but if you would uh, have in mind how many companies or corporations are existing in the US, this should be a couple of hundred thousands. What is basically adoption of crypto within these hundred thousand, couple of hundred thousands of companies? Basically zero, right? You have a couple of banks, a couple of startups, but from a proportional value, it should be a plus minus zero percent, and not minus zero, that's not possible, but basically uh, very, very small and going towards uh, zero. So that's what I wanted to highlight here. We have 16% of adult Americans uh, having owned or owning some crypto assets, and we have basically zero percent of uh, corporations. Um, and why is it so bold? Because the White House is acknowledging this from a numbers perspective. It should be the same in your country, it should be the same in, the, uh, in Europe, it should be the same in other countries. But it's interesting to, to have one of the, uh, the largest uh, economies um, or regions on the world uh, with, with strong US dollar presence and so on, um, emphasizing and what industries are primarily disrupted here or benefiting from it. I think um, to really be very clear on your question, I think everything relating to finance, right? And finance is really a lot, you know, finance is payment, you know, and, and how often are we doing payment per day or per week, you know, payment, then assets and securities, that's stock uh, trading, bonds, debt instruments, loans, uh, all kinds of financial services, such as escrow accounts, interest rate payments, you know, everything around uh, financial services. Um, and even more so, we also have other assets which are displaying some value, for example, um, think of real estate as having some value and real estate also has a financial component because it provides a, a return of in, return on investment and all kinds of other metrics. So finance is basically very much, quite much everywhere. And everywhere there is finance, I think uh, blockchain might be the infrastructure of the future. These are blockchain networks, which are then in the future representing the flow of money. But we also have to see that, for example, Bitcoin has grown to a significant asset on the world. So therefore, Bitcoin is also part of this finance domain, but not relying, of course, on uh, traditional currencies like Euro, US dollar, and so on and so forth, but creating an own commodity-style magnet of attracting purchasing power, right? So it's in my mind, it's all about finance. That's now, and say in plus five years and plus 10 years, I think we will see that identity management will also be heavily um, changed through blockchain technology. That's basically our identities in a secure way on blockchain systems. And another topic which is now popping up since half a year, it's rather new, is the, uh, the world around CO2 and tokenization of, C of CO2, because with blockchain technology, you can directly link, for example, a farmer in Brazil uh, who is basically owning Woods, which is absorbing CO2, you can connect this person to an industrial corporation in Germany, which has to purchase these carbon credits, right? And blockchain technology uh, basically peer-to-peer -peer connects these two entities, allows trading and also the provenance uh, of CO2 certificates in a very, very systematic uh, way. So therefore, CO2 carbonis decarbonization might also be strongly linked uh, to blockchain technology, but we will have to discover this in one or two years. Because I, I think I, I, that's a fantastic example of a use case, but I want to pick up a, a point you made earlier, which I found especially interesting, which is around this idea that it's built for people and not for companies. Um, and I think that's a really interesting one because one of the things I often wonder about is when you see new technologies coming through, <clears throat> sometimes they're an artifact of something that's happened or a previous technology that's evolved. 
And in this case, I mean, I suppose, do you think that the reason Bitcoin crypto blockchain that we're talking about, and we're talking about it in the context of removing power from centralized organizations and giving it back to people or giving it back to on a peer-to-peer basis, is that because of what happened in 2008? So it, do you think that this is a kind of a flow-on reaction, not a linear one necessarily, of a broken financial system where people have lost faith in institutions, they've lost faith in the um, agency of these institutions to, to focus on them rather than on big business. You have wealth inequality, you have all of these other things that have happened, uh, I suppose, gradually over years and years and years. And then you have this big financial meltdown and incidentally have a technology that starts to take off right afterwards that proposes an alternative financial system devoid of central agencies and, and, uh, and some of the concerns around them. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question, but you can have multiple opinions here. You know, I, I, I of course, uh, tell you my opinion, but I might be wrong. Uh, this will need to be shown afterwards, right? Uh, and it's difficult to argue this way or another way. I think it's the following. You know, in, uh, trust in institutions is not something everybody has or nobody has. It's it's also a matter in the, of the country where you're living in, right? So, for example, uh, talking for Germany now, we have quite good institutions. We have some flaws here and there in, in ministries and all kinds of other things. You know, that's it's not so good. But on average, I think in comparison to other countries, Germany is, does, is doing quite well with regard to institutional quality. Same with the EU, same with Canada, same with the US, same with Australia, uh, same with a couple of other countries, of course. So do we need blockchain technology necessarily in these countries? Maybe not necessarily, right? Because the institutional quality is quite high. But imagine now a world where this institutional quality is not so good. Yeah, take Turkey with an inflation rate of 40%. So the, the institution of stable money is not existing anymore in Turkey. Take other countries which are far more extreme, you know, as in Venezuela with an inflation rate of more than 1000%. Take El Salvador, where basically no banking system is existing such that people have to travel for two hours to get a meeting with a bank, you know, imagine this. So these are countries where no institutions are existing, where, in, where institutions are uh, getting weaker and so on. And I think for such regions of the world and countries where institutions are not there or weakening, I think that's exactly the case where decentral networks provide a replacement institution, right? Bitcoin attracting purchasing power, storing your money, Ethereum for allowing money transfer across countries, across the world and so on and so forth. So many uh, aspects here. So I think um, blockchain technology in this decentral manner, right, needs to be seen as a replacement for not functioning institutions. And uh, and therefore, I think it's, it makes very much sense to have institutions in low institutional countries. But speaking for Germany now, it's good to have crypto assets, of course, but we do not necessarily need it right now. But what happens when the world is worsening, right? We see uh, we see inflation on the rise. We have uh, in, in Europe, you know, Europe is a couple of countries bound together. So there we, we, therefore, we have multiple inflation rates. Inflation rates are ranging from 5% to 10% without the oil price shock, right? So in case this kicks in, we should be at 8% to 13%, right? So what are we seeing here is the, the institution of stable money getting a little bit weakened at that point of time, and this might also worsen. We also might have other situations uh, where institutions are getting a little bit weakened. And I think for such cases in the far future where institutions uh, might, for whatever reasons, be a little bit worsened, I think then it makes sense to really uh, have uh, crypto assets as a backbone, as a replacement, as a plan B, so to say. That's that's for me the, the main case. But to, to your question, you know, 
Are we now turning away from institutions because we are trusting them not anymore? Maybe the younger generation, right? That, that's, that makes sense. But, you know, in case I look around in Germany uh, tomorrow on the street, I, I, uh, I saw these cleaning people which are just uh, driving the street and cleaning the street. Then we have uh, people, um, the police, for example, which is caring that everything is in order. You know, all this needs to be paid, indirect uh, taxpayers. And all these institutions, they are working, you know, it's clean, it's safe. And people who are who are very poor in Germany, they are getting subsidies from the government. And yes, so many things do not work perfectly. But uh, but comparing to other countries, we see very clearly in the Ukraine right now, institutions are of high quality here, police, everything, right? So I think that's a very important perspective. And to really, I, honestly, that's a last remark. I don't want to talk uh, endless, right, uh, Michael? But I think... To really understand blockchain technology and crypto and Bitcoin and so on, you have to you have to uh, try to uh, to get a perspective on on how life must be in countries without institutions. You know how is life now in Ukraine? How is life in El Salvador? How is life in Venezuela? And in, in, in a very weakened aspect in Turkey, inflation rate forty percent. How is life there? You know how do you protect wealth for the future when you can't work anymore because you're getting too old, right? I think um, and therefore you know. I would say that uh, in, uh, speaking for Germany now, we have difficulties understanding the benefit of this technology because everything is working so well. Same for the entire EU and so on. But to really understand this uh, this replacement institution in case institutions are not working so well, we need to get the perspective uh, of people who are uh, not having this institutional quality. And this is difficult from our perspective, to be honest. I look. I completely agree. If you look at the um, just as a data point to support your point, if you look at the countries that have adopted uh, cryptocurrencies, especially Bitcoin, top of the list is Nigeria. Then it's basically Philippines, Thailand, Vietnam, Turkey is up there. So anybody without stable government or, or as stable financial systems, I think, uh, adopt these, especially if there's inflation. But again, what you're saying here is very interesting because we know that social stability and inflation are not friends. And we know that you know, in, in historic periods where you've had inflation, you've had degradation of social order, you've certainly had political volatility. And now there's this technology that's coming on the horizon that seeks to replace institutions with what is perceived at least to be a neutral agent uh, that is that is not related to human skill or management and so on. I suppose the other big the big element of this is is not that I'm a sort of a, a studier of uh, history or politics, but I also feel that even in developed systems like the US, which doesn't necessarily have the best banking system, let's be honest, but has a banking system, um, you might say that um, this idea of, again, a mistrust in institutions is prevalent. So a lot of the research, a lot of the enthusiasm for blockchain originates from a country that has essentially lost faith, a lot of it, in the, in the central institutions and suffers from some of the biggest wealth inequality for a developed nation possible. So you'd have to kind of say that there's probably some kind of link, but I agree with you from an Australian perspective, from a German perspective, we look around and we go, look, stuff works. It's not perfectly efficient, but it works. So is blockchain about creating more shareholder value? I mean, is that what we're going to see? Big banks are going to take this technology, hire their own teams, or they're going to outsource it to Google or somebody else. And they're going to, like with fintech, what we saw when fintech was like an amazing thing a decade and a half ago, and eventually just got sucked into banks. And today, I mean, probably relatively few, especially versus expectations of these banks have been uh, uh, completely replaced or displaced or whatever, because these technologies got in, uh, integrated into them. Is, is that what you see blockchain being integrated into some of the common 
enterprises and so on. So they still retain some degree of control over the blockchain, perhaps some of the validation notes or validation processes, but now that their infrastructure sits on that, or do you see it as a complete competitor to them? That's a good question, um, because I also kept on thinking about this uh, for, for now uh, more than one year. And what we saw is the following, you know, we had these, these uh, presentations in PowerPoint mode uh, from consultants, lawyers, uh, also from me, you know, from other people at university. Nothing wrong with PowerPoint. We love PowerPoint. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, you have these announcements, you know, a couple of years ago, what, what will happen in blockchain technology? We will have prototypes ready. We have systems like and also and so on. These presentations have been made by consultants, by me, by others, uh, people observing the system um, and so on and so forth. And what happened? You know, nothing, you know, nothing happened. Honestly, all these PowerPoint slides have been wrong. And, uh, and a couple of years later, not much happened on behalf of these uh, companies and their companies providing possibility for creating new systems. But what happened instead? Instead, we had uh, crypto assets arising. We had DeFi arising, NFT arising, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Solana, and all these projects arising. That's basically individual technologies. This is peer-to-peer. And now, as uh, President Biden and his administration said, we have 16% of adult Americans uh, somehow being in touch with crypto assets, right? And we have zero percent of corporate America, uh, roughly speaking, you know, and, and just, yeah. just, just being very, very illustrative here. So, how will this be? How will how how should this change now, right? I would expect that the sixteen percent are climbed into seventeen percent to eighteen to twenty to twenty-two percent over the next, I don't know, one two years. And uh, do you now expect that uh, that corporations in Europe and around the world are suddenly Adopting this technology overnight, such that such that the value is increasing from zero percent to ten percent, that's that's that will not happen, right? So we see here that the, the spread between individual adoption and corporate adoption will be increasing because it's a technology for individuals. Individuals have a much higher ease and comfort getting in touch with the technology than corporations with their decision making processes, structures, uh, committees. And so on and so forth. So I think, concerning your question, I think yes, there will be banks who are adopting the technology, and actually there will be companies arising which will be basically asked to adopt this. These are called crypto exchanges. Why is this happening? Because the government needs to have some kind of control of this ecosystem. And how is this control possible when you have uncontrollable decentral networks? This control is only possible when you are observing with regulatory measures and. Uh, Life banking licenses and so on. It's possible by uh, by having a, a couple of large crypto exchanges, Kraken, Coinbase, Binance, and so on and so forth, who are who have to deal uh, with regulation, who have to stick to the rules. And with this, the government is trying to get a little bit of a footprint with some central elements in this decentral ecosystem. Is it good or bad? I think it's okay, right? Uh, because it's I perfectly understand if the if the government needs to get some control over money. A laundry and criminal activity. So therefore, I think it's actually okay, even though it's against the original thoughts of uh, of these crypto networks uh, and so on. And therefore, we will see uh, central elements arising. We will we will see companies like Coinbase and so on adopting this. They will grow. Um, they will get some central power within these uh, net networks. But what will happen to existing companies, existing banks, financial services companies, and so on? Not so sure because they will need it in the future, right? Uh, but uh, they might be too slow adopting this, such that some of them might not survive, right? 
we will have banks, you know, don't get me wrong. We will have financial service companies. We will have banks. They are, they are needed and they also fulfill a very important function of this ecosystem because they, they are acting at, as a gateway between me as an individual and the blockchain system on the other side, right? So these banks need to view as, as gateway providers, uh, which are providing also some service. Um, but will all banks be able to transform digitally towards this future? I don't think so. Some of them will not make it and they will, uh, because part of banks are too slow, uh, to be honest, right? Yeah. And, and I think, I think that there's so many interesting points here. And there's two that come to mind. One is the, um, disintermediation of some of the capital raising, right? So DeFi uh, as an example, but also the coin offerings and everything else are a way essentially to engage with um, essentially blockchain directly in order to sell some future value to others in, in the form of coins and such. And I feel like that also removes some element of intermediation. But the other part for me, which fascinates me, is this idea of this segmentation between the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin money people and the non-Bitcoin or the conventional money people, if you want. And this idea that we really haven't had this experiment before. Maybe maybe Europe was the only one who had this experiment where in 99, when the EU uh, euro was first adopted, um, it was 19, it was 99, there was another coin, there was another currency before it leading into it, wasn't it? So it was called something similar but different. And so everybody had that. On EQ, uh, European currency unit. Yeah, European currency, ECU, that's right. And so you had ECU, and the idea was that um, you had local, so the Deutschmarks, and then you had ECU, and then there was some exchange rate that was fixed, and then eventually kind of ran into the EU. So that time there was a kind of multiple currencies in effect in the same country, I think. I might be saying something terrible if I am. You can email me later and tell me off. But what interests me about Bitcoin or any other currency like this is that at the moment there is a, there's a segmentation. If you put your wealth into Bitcoin, you can access certain services and certain uh, elements of the economy that are probably unavailable to you uh, in, in regular currency. And that segmentation means that actually you can only do certain things in one and not, maybe not the other. Um, and as Visa and as uh, Tesla was threatening to do and all these kind of companies start to accept Bitcoin as legal currency and tender, you also wonder what on the other side they will start to do in terms of accepting US dollar. And obviously the stable coins are one example of that, the, the digitalization of currencies. But I feel like a lot of this conversation about the future of you know, Ethereum or Bitcoin, et cetera, depends upon how much products and services can be built up on that digital currency side that are somehow enabled by digital currencies, perhaps exclusively uh, to those native to those currencies. And then I feel like just more eyeballs, more commerce, more economics will move there. That's why the metaverse for me is one kind of reflection of this idea of the, the how much of our economy can we migrate to the digital equivalent of itself. And so I suppose, you know, in, in this quest to migrate all of us into that digital sphere as well, and obviously Bitcoin being a good currency for that. Um, I, yeah, if you have any thoughts on that, otherwise I'll, I'll take us to maybe our last question if... Uh, if you're ready. Yeah, just, just one point. Um, I think the question is, what is Bitcoin? Uh, the narrative is changing all the time. Um, I think it's interesting to, at this point of time, you know, speaking at least from a EU perspective, I think it's good to, to see Bitcoin as a potential investment object, potentially also um, um, weakening the, the, the adverse effects of uh, inflation and so on. So, But it's not payment, right? And why is this? Because Payment is uh, should be a stable asset. We have the volatility with Bitcoin right now, at least. This might weaken over the years to come, but right now the volatility is still there. Um, and we have basically no acceptance of Bitcoin at uh, shops and merchants, right? So 
In Germany, uh, we have, for example, I think 60,000 60, uh, gas stations or 6,000, you know, like thousands of gas stations where you can purchase easily with um, MasterCard, cash, credit cards, and other things. Apple Pay, this all works perfectly, but basically close to zero acceptance points of Bitcoin. So therefore, Bitcoin at this point of time does not work as payment infrastructure at least for Europe and rather, I think at this point of time, it needs to be seen uh, as an investment uh, object, right? But still the benefit is there because you can purchase this commodity style of asset to weaken your um, inflation uh, burden. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's right. And look, this way, any company where income and costs are indifferent or revenue and costs are in different currencies will face this FX risk. So what you're saying is if you're one of the street cleaners you refer to, you're getting paid in euros, and if even if you wanted to purchase goods and services in Bitcoin, you'd be constantly running that exchange risk as part of your everyday life. So that's probably not the best thing to do. And, and so I think it goes back to this notion that there's this currency that's growing up in the economy. And the question is whether it can live side by side with another currency or whether they will end up displacing. And, and so displacing means you can now be you know, paid a fixed amount of Bitcoin every month. And therefore, you can spend that, and you don't no longer have a problem, right? You no longer have price volatility because now you can spend that money on groceries, and you receive it as as your um, as your salary as well. So, it, it's it's to me that it, in order for it to work and not be an exotic asset, investment asset, as you said, or something else, a speculative one, you need to move a critical mass of that um, financial infrastructure onto that system. And I don't think that's an easy process, and it's certainly not a necessarily a smooth one either. Um, I want to take you to the last question, just Philip, because I'm mindful of your time. You've been extremely generous, and thank you so much again. Um, this this is a, a question that often kind of works at the back of my mind as we work our way through these different technologies, um, so cryptos, blockchains, DeFi, metaverse, and so on. Um, I suppose just think, reflecting on and the big question behind me is: Do you think that the acceptance and advent of blockchain will make the world a more equitable place? That's a good question, and it's very difficult to uh, to project this somehow. Um, but I I think there will be tensions. Um, but I also think that the that the technology will also help making this this world a little bit better. And the key reason why I'm saying this is that especially those people in countries where institutions are weak or not functioning at all, it's those people who are benefit the most. Yeah. Think of people in Venezuela who can now store uh, their value in Bitcoin or in Ethereum or in US dollar if they wish, right? But they do not have uh, to, to use their local currency anymore because it's inflating at more than 1,000% a year. Same is true for 10, 20 other countries. Same might be true for our uh, Western world, so to say, EU and in the US, uh, because we also have higher inflation rates, uh, approaching now 10%. So um, so we we might get something out of this and i think those people who are getting the most out of it could be those who are financially excluded at this point of time because of weak or no in uh, institutions in, in such countries right and therefore there are hundreds of millions of people who potentially could benefit that's a wonderful note to end our conversation thank you so much for The new Clans platform is currently in open beta and is looking for foundational members to help us shape it. Yes, it's really your chance to help bring a new platform to life. We are looking for first users and members to help us. 
And so I wanted to ask our community to rally around and help us with our first release. The first 500 members will receive Gen Zero status, which comes with lifetime benefits like priority support, early feature access, and a heap more. Don't worry, you don't have to be Gen Z to uh, enter, obviously, just like me. Plus, you get to tell us what to do and what you'd like to see improved, which is always nice. To find out how you can join us, please see the link in the notes below.